0: Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Living in Your Own Grace, and it is part of the Grace Zone Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org and now here's pastor phil mccutcher how many of you today today have your roots in god you're rooted in how many of you rooted in grace the grace of god amen Uh, every once in a while uh, jack easterby will text me before i come to preach or i'll text him so this morning i texted him and I told him, I said, uh, I'm getting ready to preach on um, living in your own grace. And I said, I'm praying for you because I know this is a challenging time. Challenging time to be a chaplain and character coach for an NFL football team. If you're a believer in Christ and you're trying to keep people focused on the Prince of Peace. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I said, I'm, I'm praying for you. here's what I'm preaching on. I'm, I'm encouraging you today to live in your own grace. And he texted me back. He said, "He said if you're not rooted in grace, you're not rooted. <laughs> and I gave him back the verse that I'll give to you right now. The Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken until that which cannot be shaken is, is taken away. I'm sorry, I, I misquoted the re- Until that which cannot be shaken remains. Let me say it again. You, you aren't listening anyway, right? <laughs> Everything that can be shaken will be shaken until that which cannot be shaken remains. A whole lot of shaking going on, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a Jerry Lee song. I'm not talking about a Jerry Lee song. I'm talking about the world that you live in. <laughs> God is good. God's on the throne. Amen. Amen. All right. We started a few weeks ago in a series called The Grace Zone. Had a few interruptions, and we're we we, we we're going to get back to that today. Today's sermon is called Living in Your Own Grace. And it's about finding your place, finding your groove. It, it's about... Realizing your unique approach, realizing what God is giving you grace to do, how God is giving you grace to live your life, not somebody else's, how God has given you grace to do your ministry, not somebody else's, and it's unique, and God, we're going to talk about it this morning, God has a secret wisdom that's only for you and not anybody else. Let's do a little recap, though. Week one, we talked about staying in the grace zone. We define the grace zone as your space of maximum energy, confidence, competence, peace, and provision. We we told you four things. Four things you can't do and stay in the grace zone. You can't nurse resentment, unforgiveness, and jealousy toward other people and stay in the grace zone. You can't reject yourself. Number two, you can't reject yourself and compare yourself to other people and stay in the grace zone. Number three, you can't live in discontentment about your opportunities and your assignments and stay in the grace zone. Number four, you can't be deluded about your own weaknesses and own own sinfulness and stay in the grace zone. So we talked about that week one. Week two, we talked about the state of grace. When life throws you a curve. When life allows suffering to come into your life in Romans 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 8 Paul said three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away meaning the what we call the the bible calls a thorn in the flesh but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me sometimes in life God takes away our suffering and our pain. Sometimes God says no, I'm not taking away the problem. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no to taking away your problem, but I'm going to say yes to your joy. And it's going to be an emotional miracle. It's not going to make any sense. That's why it's called the peace that passeth understanding. You know why they say it's the peace that passeth understanding? Because it's a peace that passes understanding. That's why it doesn't make sense. You're going to be happy and have joy and have peace, and nobody's going to be able to figure you out. So week three, Mike Cordry back here. I think, is that Mike, is that you? I, I can't tell you. I didn't know if you were here to, to do a stick-up, a hold-up, or, or, or not with a mask, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah I' in mean, a room a police officer told me one day I went to a call with the men in fire department. He, he said, "Don't go into a bank looking like that. <laughs> All right, so uh, uh, the state of grace is one thing but but today we're going we're gonna to look at Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 he, he has this self-described, relationship with the corinthians and in it we're going to see in a minute We're going to read the scripture in a minute he talks about the corinthians being in his sphere that they were in, that god had given him an authority to operate as an apostle in their sphere and that was his sphere of influence now he had a testy relationship with them they didn't, they didn't necessarily want Paul hanging around. They thought he was sticking his nose in their business and telling him how to live and telling him what was right, what was wrong, and all of that. And they had these flashier local apostles that were calling themselves apostles who were a little more cool and wore skinny jeans, you know, and, and uh, were... Were, were much younger, and uh, they were going, Paul, man. in fact, in fact, we're going to read it in a minute, and this is the King James comes to memory, and I'll read it in a different version in a minute, but the Bible says that they said, Paul, his speech is contemptible, and, and you know, I've had some pretty bad zingers in my life, but nobody's ever said my sermon was contemptible. No, nobody's ever sent me a text message on Sunday afternoon and said, that was contemptible, but that's what they said about Paul. Now, this, now this, next, this next insult that I have had, they said his bodily presence is weak. And I, I have had to deal with that. Uh, but I've been working out out here at the gym. So I'm, I, I think I'm going to get beyond that someday if I don't die first. It's, I, my time's running out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, but Paul had this relationship with them. The nature of relationship with Corinthians with the Corinthians, was how God's calling was determining his love for them and his influence with them, and their feedback was irrelevant. So that's what I want to give you today. I want you to help you discover and realize that there's a grace on your life, there's a grace for you in an area of competence, an area of influence for you to operate in, that it's nobody else's business. Because God has given it to you. And nobody else, in most cases, can even tell you what it is until they see your anointing. And today, I hope before this service is over, I can release some of you to the anointing that God has given you. Amen? What is the sphere of influence granted to you by the grace of God? That's the question today. And we're going to read. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and he said, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. See, he's having to defend himself to the Corinthians a little bit. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say... His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Now, now he's going to get sarcastic right here. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. He's just dripping with sarcasm. (laughs) But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Boy, that's a you ought to circle all of that because that, that's what we're talking about today. When they compare yourselves among yourselves, they're without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits. This, this, is, this is the core of what I'm preaching today. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us. To reach even to you. what is God assigned to you, friends? You, you ever just move in the company of certain people and you know you have a responsibility with that certain group of people? You can feel the weight of your responsibility for that certain group of people. Ever see a problem and you just know that solving that problem is in your realm of competence? Ever see a burden that you just knew you were supposed to pick that burden up? Ever see a need and you know that need is your need to meet? Not to delegate, but to meet. Now, to affirm this idea of calling and equipping and to make sure you know and how it's related to grace, because Paul didn't use the word grace there in 2 Corinthians 10, but he might as well have. Because he makes it very clear in Romans 12, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. Romans 12, it's just such an amazing chapter. If you've not read Romans 12 or studied it, let me encourage you to do that. Romans 12, verse 3 through 6. says says, Tommy, would you grab me some water? I think that bottle of water right there is fresh. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself More highly than he ought to think. Thank you. But to think with sober judgment. uh, uh, But to think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Very important. For as in one body we have many members. And the members do not have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ. And individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So let's get into this. What is what, Let's first of all, what what living in your grace on grace is not. It is not exemption from moral, relational, and ethical practices. Don't that don't fit your style. You don't get to go. Hey, I'm a prophet. My ministry is to. To offend people and set people straight. Don't expect me to be nice. Because that's not my anointing. No. All the scriptures in the Bible. About be kind to one another. Be clothed with mercy. Be tender hearted. All those verses are for you prophets too. Now you may have to work at it a little more than some of the other people. Because you. Let me say you something. Your strengths identify your weaknesses. Now, if you're not lucky enough to be married, to have a spouse who can tell you that all the time, I'll tell you. In fact, give me your phone number. I'll send you a text message once a week and tell, just straighten you out a little bit. Say, your, your strengths define your weaknesses. Uh, another, thing, uh, another thing is it's not always getting to choose how you will serve and how... You will love based on your gifts. It's just like some people. Some people like this. Listen, guys, I'm not going to be able to make it over for the church cleanup day of next Saturday and cleaning up the property because I have the gift of teaching. Sorry, I have the gift of teaching. But what time you taking a break? I'll come by, and I'd love to give you. A, I've got this great Bible study on the greatest among you will be servant of all. No, you don't, you know, uh, Paul was an apostle, but he made tents. Paul's identity was not as a fundraiser, but he raised money for the poor people in Israel, in Jerusalem. Paul wasn't a Boy Scout, but when they're stranded on the island of Melita after that shipwreck where he, he was really sort of took over the ship and saved their lives, after he did that, Everybody was cold and wet and hungry, and Paul went and gathered wood for the fire. Now, he was an apostle. He wasn't a Boy Scout, but he built a a really good fire because it's about meeting needs. See, Paul's serving in menial tasks on Melita and his general support of the captain, crew, and prisoners led him and opened the door for him to begin to minister in his apostolic anointing on the island of Malta, I'm, I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to show you how building a campfire can lead to you being a worker of miracles. It says there was an estate nearby in Acts chapter 28, verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. You see, here's the thing. You will not successfully Live in your own grace until you're willing to help other people live in their own grace. A lot of people, a lot of Christians are going around trying to find their own ministry, their own anointing. But they want a ministry and they want an anointing and they want to do something that doesn't make anyone especially in authority successful They they want to find a ministry that doesn't make somebody else look good that somebody does d- doesn't make somebody else successful but all of you start really flowing in your anointing if I every one of you start really living high in your own grace and you start you know what's going to happen this church is going to triple in size and, but guess who's going to get called to go to some conference with a bunch of uncle prep pastors and tell them how he grew a large church? Me. That ain't fair, is it? Of course it ain't fair. I'm, what can I do? I remember uh, we were, uh, Sherry and I were in this church in Florida for a little while. And, and that, that pastor had quite a few problems. And that all played out as time has gone on with, with this guy. And, uh, but I remember that church went from 11 to 1,400. It was phenomenal. And uh, part of the reason was a woman named Dolly. Dolly was a greeter on steroids. <laughs> she made everybody feel loved and welcome when they came in that church. She didn't care. She didn't care that she was making pastor look good. She didn't care. She, I don't think she even thought about it. She was living in her own grace. <laughs> she, was, she was in the zone, man. She was in the grace One night, it was a Friday night service, and I went to service, and I had to leave early. And so I'm sneaking out the door, and I see Dolly running across the parking lot to, another, to a visitor who had left early, running as fast as she could way across the parking lot to their car to tell them how glad she was she, they came to her church. I tell you, Dolly lived in her own grace. And because of it, the kingdom of God grew. Because that's what it's all about. I want you to know something. When God looks down from heaven this morning at this meeting right now, he's not going, well, that sermon's the most important thing that's happening. This is necessary. This is necessary. You came today to hear a sermon. You need to be taught. But it's in, from the kingdom of heaven's point of view. It's not the most important thing that's going on in this room right now. Who knows what's most important? Who cares? I said, who cares? Who cares that we know what's most important? The Bible says to do whatever you do as unto the Lord. Okay, let's tell you what else it's not. Living in your own grace is not ignoring the hurting or or saying showing mercy by saying showing mercy is not my gift. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble, then your light will shine out from darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. I'm so happy and proud of our people running the crisis center and I think, I think last week we gave away a couple of thousand dollars to people who are hurting because of the lockdown. I hope we can keep doing it. You know, the Good Samaritan is a great story, but I presume that the Good Samaritan was not uh, a mercy guy, that he didn't have the gift of mercy. I think he probably had a gift that caused him to be a successful mer- a merchant, just of where he was on that road to Jericho. I think he was a successful business guy. But, he, but there was a guy in need in his path. So people that live in their own grace still meet needs in their path that aren't related to their gift. But I want you to notice something about the good Samaritans, really important. He didn't stay there at the inn and baby the guy for two weeks because that wasn't his gift. There had to be somebody else to do that. He went on back to what his anointing was. He went on back to what his grace, his, he went back and lived in his own grace. And he probably, because he said, when I come back, I'll pay all the bills. So he probably went somewhere and made a bunch of money. So some of you are here today and your grace is to go make money. That's your grace. You're good at it. Some of you wish you were good at it. <laughs> Except your anointing. So really important. So let's, we talk about what living in your grace is not. Let's talk about what it is. The Good Samaritan, let's talk about what it is. Living in your own grace means you know, and this is so important, guys, you know God has secret wisdom for you in your life. Secret wisdom that's just for you. The pastor probably doesn't know it. Sometimes your own spouse doesn't know what God Is stirring in your own heart the Bible says the Lord confides in those who fear him confides think about that you've been hearing God confide in you lately I've been hearing God confide in me lately I really have the Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. And then there's Isaiah 45:3. I will give you hidden treasures, rich stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. You ever wonder why you're interested in what you're interested in? Ever wonder why you care about what you care about? You ever wonder about why you're perfect for one situation and you're a disaster in another? <laughs> You think that's some accident? You think there's not the finger of God is not in that? You think the finger of God is not in that? Someone writing about Albert Einstein said this. He regarded the intuitive mind as a sacred gift and the rational mind as a faithful servant. Einstein actually did make this statement. No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. So so what's he saying? He's saying, he called it intuition, but I call it the secret wisdom of God. What what he's saying is, we come into life and we we, we we need a different divine perspective, and that God has given everybody, you, every one of us who are children of God, different divine perspective. You see, Jesus had it all. Jesus had all the gifts, all the anointings. Jesus had all. He, 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 lived, he lived in every grace that you live in. He lived in all, all of them at the same time. That's what he was so powerful. But when he went back to heaven, he distributed himself across the vast body of believers. So that we together form the body of Christ. So you've got a piece of Jesus in you. I've got a piece of Jesus in me. You've got, a, you've got a Jesus interest in you. I've got some Jesus interest in me. And we need to quit criticizing each other. And we need to quit, quit, quit giving each other a hard time because we don't have the same interest. We need, we need to start to work together. And we need to start putting our anointings together. Because the only way we can be Jesus to the world is if we put ourselves together. And together we look like Jesus. By yourself, you look like a piece of Jesus, and that's good, but people need the whole person. (laughs) That's why you need to come to church, right? The secular world calls it intuition. We call it the the wisdom of God. Some of you know Jill Sullivan. Jill Jill came to Bethany and John a couple of years back uh, in 1991, right in there, when we were out in Upton. And they pastored um, Tri-County Full Gospel in Franklin. Unfortunately, John passed away recently. And uh, I uh, began to go visit John when he was at St. Elizabeth's in Boston. He had a long battle with cancer. So I started visiting him at St. Elizabeth's, and I started calling him regularly. I felt like God just put him on my heart because just, he just didn't have a pastor, you know? And I just felt so burdened for John and just wanted him to be healed like, like nobody's business. But it became apparent that it wasn't going to happen, you know? But Jill and I are sitting across the bed from him over at uh, Norwood Hospital one night. And I knew that for 25 years or so, Jill has been taking taking in drug-addicted babies. She's taken in so many drug-addicted babies, she's totally lost count. I I called her yesterday for permission to tell her story today in the sermon, and she couldn't even remember how many drug-addicted babies she's taken in. And she felt a desire to do this, about 28 years ago, her mother said, Jill, I don't think you ought to do this, this is, are you sure you want to do this, and she said, I just had to do it, and she, she told me this over the bed that night, and some of you are going to appreciate this, because you know Sam and Tilly, how many of you know Sam and Tilly ready? how many of you knew them, you know what her great inspiration was, Sam and Tilly, she saw Sam and Tilly, and the way they treated Renee, their daughter with cerebral palsy, talk about people who lived in their own grace, those two people. Lived in the area. You know, Tilly passed away a, a, a few weeks ago. In fact, she passed away the day after Jill told me the story, which I thought was kind of interesting. But anyway, anyway, uh, uh, they saw she saw the joy that they took care of Renee with. Renee was 34, 35 years of old age at the time they came here. Had cerebral palsy, uh, was uh, had, you know, the capabilities of a baby. And they but they took care of her with such joy, I called her their gift from God. And that was a part of what stoked the fire of Jill's calling to this. And here's what's surprising. I called her yesterday, and I said, here's what I want to know. So I told her, what I'm, here's what I'm preaching on tomorrow. I, I mean, two days ago I called her. I said, here's what I'm preaching on Sunday, and I want to be able to tell the folks how they can know God's calling them to do something. I said, how did you know? Because I told her, I said, everybody can't do that. Everybody doesn't have the grace to do that. But you obviously have the grace. She said, I don't know. She said, but I know when my phone lights up with a phone call from DCF, Department of Children and Family Services, I get so excited. My adrenaline starts pumping. I get a shot of adrenaline. (laughs) I said, well, you just told me how it works. God has wired you so that your heart is moved by what he's calling you to do. That's the secret. That's the secret, guys. That's the secret. God doesn't just go around commanding you to do stuff. Now, he can do that. He's got a right to do that, by the way. And sometimes he has to command me to do some stuff that I don't want to do. But God doesn't just go around saying, you better do that. No, God moves you. God moves you at the very center of your being. So you would rather die than not do that thing. You don't, you, you're you're crippled for having joy in life unless you do the thing that is burning inside of you. And, and it's a lot, I'm going to talk in a minute about passion, because it's a lot, it's a lot deeper than just this whole advice, go do your passion, go do your passion. It's a lot deeper than that. So let, let me quickly uh, give you a quick list, very quickly, of, of three things that Paul did to know his grace zone, or of... Or, uh, what his grace was. Let me give you three quick things. There's, there's, a, there's 20 things, but uh, you don't want to hear them. I know you don't. You're getting hungry. It's 12 o'clock, 12 8. Number one, he experienced spiritual birth. Some of you hearing me today, either in this auditorium or you're watching a uh, live stream, Some of you here today haven't experienced, have not experienced a spiritual birth. Others of you have experienced a spiritual birth, but you're not feeding the baby. You know what I mean? The person, the baby Christ, came alive in you and you've been starving him. Get in the Bible, get in the Word, get involved with Christian fellowship, do all the things. read, Read once in a while, start sharing your faith, do the things that feed the baby. Number two, he committed his life to the will of God. I heard about a pastor whose sons came to him and said, Dad, I want to be a Christian. And he said, Son, what do you want to do for your life's work? He said, I want to drive a race car. And he said, Well, what if God called you to be a janitor? Would you do it? He said, No. His dad said, Well, you're not ready. (laughs) He came back a few days later. He said, well, Dad, I thought about it, and I decided if God wants me to be a janitor, I'll be a janitor. His dad said, you're ready to follow Christ now. <laughs> you're ready to be a Christian. So we have to commit our will to God. We have to do that. You're not going to, you know, but fortunately, it's what I said a while I You're not just going to be told what to do. God, by his grace, is going to move you from the core of your being. The third thing that Paul did is he consulted with God about his place in the world. Galatians 1.16, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach to him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. That's incredible. Paul said, Paul said, There's something about my calling that is so personal that it's between me and God. Now, it was certainly confirmed by others later, but initially it was God. Uh, see, God places people all over the world in every strat of society to be his representatives. Some people will spend their life with the rich and famous, some with the poor and the destitute, some will spend their life making a lot of money, some will spend their life living frugally but joyfully and humbly. Everybody can live victoriously, though, in their own grace. By being, and see, living your own grace, and here, here's the last thing I want to talk about today. Living in your own grace benefits you, but it's never about you. Living your own grace benefits you, but it's never about you. My sister in law, who's gone on to be with the Lord, started a crisis pregnancy center a number of years ago. And one day, uh, they get uh, a lady came, and um, she thought she thought uh, it was an abortion clinic, and uh, they informed her it was not. But would she be willing to sit with them and talk about keeping the baby? And she said, "No, I won't." But they, they said, "Well, would you take a book to read if we gave it to you?" She said, "I will." And they gave her a book written by a lady. Who survived an abortion, got thrown in a dumpster and lived. And uh, uh, so, a few days later, this woman comes back after she read the book, and she said, I, "I'll, I'd like to keep the baby." And so, they worked with her, and they got everything set up so that when the baby was born, she did not want to. She did not want to raise the baby; didn't feel she could. And uh, they, when the they got everything set up for the adoption. And there was a hospital and everything. The family that was supposed to adopt the baby showed up. And she looked at that family, and she said, no, I'm not letting him go with them. She had a little boy. She looked at my sister-in-law. They're late 50s at this point, you know, 58, 59. She looked at Joe and Judy, and she said, I'll only let the baby go with you. (laughs) God just spoke to them at that moment. (laughs) And said, you're going to raise a baby when you're nearly 60 years of age. And uh, it's been rough. I don't know if Joe's watching, but I know he would say, "Amen." man, it's been really rough. After a while, Judy got sick, passed away. My brother, you don't know my brother, but my brother is Mr. Spontaneity. That's a, that's a McCutcheon trait. My dad would get up in the morning and say, I think I'll breeze down to Austin today. Austin was 300 miles away. And there, there would go dad down the road. And that's kind of a, that's my brother. And he's got a, a young boy. And not only that, a couple, through three, three years ago, they they diagnosed him with Asperger's. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the autism spectrum, but those, those young people need order. Order is not my brother's thing. And it's been hard. And I prayed. I've been down there. I prayed and just prayed for Isaiah. It's been rough. And I uh, asked my, sister, my niece the other day when they were up here and putting the sound system in. My, my niece's husband put the sound system in. I, I said, how's, it, how's Isaiah? Because the last time I talked, it wasn't, it wasn't great. She said, it's going great. And I called Joe a few days. I said, how's it going? Because I wanted to see if he was confirming it. I didn't tell him what she said. He said, it's going great. He's, uh, a, a, young, a young Muslim girl in Atlanta started uh, tutoring him with his schooling because he was having trouble with schooling. He started taking piano lessons. His piano lessons teachers came to my brother the other day and said, he's doing great. Oh, there he is. There's Isaiah, right there. What happened? It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't of Joe's choosing necessarily in the end, but Joe has lived in his own grace, and God is going to give success when you get into your groove and what you're called to do. And Joe, Joe's the pastor of the homeless people in Atlanta. He is the pastor of the homeless. If anybody ever asks you who pastors the homeless people in Atlanta, it's Joe McCutcheon, pastors the homeless. Thousands of homeless people call him Pastor Joe. because He lives in his own grace. And that's what God is calling you to do today. And I'll tell you something. I'm going to say this quickly. I'm running a little over my, over my time right now. But I want to say this. If your focus is on what your passion is, not how your passion benefits others. You might have passion idolatry. See, a lot of people talk to me about their passion, and, and usually it's something to do with the arts. You know, I don't know how many more songwriters we need in the world. <laughs> you thought that was funny, Mike. When a comedian thinks you're funny, you're good, man. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many poem, more poems we need. I, I don't know. Uh, but so many times people's they're more focused on their they're more focused on that that technical thing they do It's arranging flowers or painting pictures or whatever this is my passion No, everywhere in the bible the bible talks about callings it's never about the technical thing it's always about the people that you're called to it's about the place that you're called to. It's about, it's about the, the realm that you're called to. Paul said, Corinth, you're my realm. I'm called to you. He didn't say, I'm called to preach. He said, I'm called to you. He didn't, he didn't just say, I'm called to, to do this technical skill. because I'm good at counseling, so I'm called to counseling. He said, I'm called to you. Who are your people? That. Amen. Who are your people? Who are the people that you love? Who are the people that you're planted with? You can't bloom until you're planted. Who are the people that you're planted with? Who are the people that you're going to do whatever you do? You're going to do it for them because you're in love with them even when they don't love you back. Who's your mission field? Conclusion. My notes say the word conclusion. You said praise God. Jesus didn't just pay for our sins on the cross though he did he also lived out a truth on the cross he picked up a burden and he walked up a hill now it's hard to take your eyes off of the bloodiness and the grotesqueness of the cross but I want you to try for a moment to take your eyes off the bloodiness and the grotesqueness and the violence on the cross Because the cross, Jesus lived out a truth that represents something else. That the cross was the highest point in the city. The cross, the Golgotha, I mean, it was planted on the highest point of the city. And it was Jesus' place to shine. It was his place to live out his own grace. It was his place to succeed. It was his place to conquer. It was his place to do what no one else could do. It was his place to be what no one else could be for the world but him. It was the place that he conquered sin for mankind. It was the place from which he took from Satan the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It it was the place which he became a victorious human who accomplished everything we would ever need him to accomplish for us. Would you like to follow Jesus? If you would, pray this prayer with me. I want to pray this—a prayer. I'm going to pray a sinner's prayer, even though I know a lot of you aren't sinners. But I'm, there might be one person here who hasn't crossed the line of faith to be a Christ father. Maybe one person watching my live stream hasn't crossed the line of faith. So pray this prayer with me, Father, in Jesus' name. I come to you. Accept me. Save me. Forgive me of all my sins. Show me my purpose in life. Release me to live that purpose so that I can show the world your love, your grace, and your power. I receive you as my personal Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.